Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Tales. This is Mummy work okay, thanks. I cannot help myself but have Jai as the introduction to Kiwi Birth Tales because oh, I just love his little voice. <laughs> so cute. Welcome back to another episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. Thank you for joining me and yeah, super grateful that you're here this week. I am back with another birth story episode today and I am speaking with Britt. I will tell you about her episode in a minute. But I am kicking off this episode with another recommendation. So I've been doing these for the past few episodes. I hope you're finding them useful. So this week I am recommending Two Islands Nightcap and I have been taking Nightcap I want to say I think I'm on my fourth bottle so for quite a while (laughs) Um, and basically I just take it every night about an hour before I go to bed and I feel so much better rested like I've had such a better sleep when I take it. I notice like almost an immediate difference when I don't. Um, It's become quite like a ritual and a habit in the evenings for me. I don't love the taste if I'm being honest. It's like a cherry kind of flavor, which is not my my vibe. But, But I do love what it does for my energy levels and my sleep. Yeah, I just feel like I've had a much better, more restorative sleep, even if I'm up with the kids in the night or up early. So... That's my recommendation. Not sponsored. <laughs> I'm purchasing all the product myself. Yeah, I'm just a um, big fan of the nightcap. So I'll make sure I tag Two Islands and their product in the post about the episode this week. A reminder that if you are someone who is pregnant and you're going to be giving birth soon, I'm not an advocate for any type of birth or birth care. Um, these episodes are just shared with you know general information always talk to your care provider if you've got any questions and if you are pregnant and you're looking for more birth education which you should be <laughs> then I hope you head to Your Birth Project which is my online hypnobirthing course that helps you create your best birth if you want to find out more about it it's tagged in the show notes or you can head to at Your Birth Project on Instagram today I am speaking with Britt beautiful Brit from Papa Moore and she takes us through her pregnancy, birth and postpartum story with her daughter Fox. It's quite the journey um, so I'll just start you off by saying that Brit's birth was a general anaesthetic emergency c-section and her baby was born um, with no heartbeat, not breathing when it was born for about three and a half minutes and they eventually found out that Fox was a little girl um, and went on to spend some time in NICU in the Waikato and then came back to Tauranga Skibu for a few days. So quite a journey. It's like, yeah, quite a full on um, birth story, but one that is so valuable to have on the podcast. Britt does such an amazing job of talking about what her ideal birth looked like how her birth turned out, and then how that ended up impacting her postpartum. She also suffered an extreme loss of her brother to testicular cancer and assisted dying, which she talks through postpartum. Um, She was about three months, I think she said, when that happened. So there's a lot of grief um, in her postpartum period. So 
It's a jam-packed episode. Um, I really think that Brit's done such a good job of talking about how she was feeling throughout this time and explaining everything. So I hope you're going to love it. Um, if you want to connect with Brit, I'll make sure I tag her in the show notes as well as the Instagram episode on Kiwi Birth Tales because she said she's found this um, postpartum period really isolating, not being able to find too many other stories where babies were born under general anaesthetic emergency C-sections. So... If you want to connect with her, I'm sure she'd really love that. But if you don't, that's okay too. I hope you love the episode. Let's jump into it. Hey, Britt. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yeah. So uh, my name's Britt. I'm 28 years old. Um, I was 27 when I had my daughter, Fox almost a year ago um and my partner Finn and I live at a house in Papamoa with our big woofing dog who you might hear at some point sorry uh and yeah our little daughter Fox lovely awesome and what was the journey like to pregnancy for you and Finn intentional but faster than we expected (laughs) (laughs) um after a bit of a conversation we decided in I think it was must have been December of 2019 that we would take my contraception out. I had a copper IUD. Yeah. Um, and then I think I had one cycle before I was pregnant. <laughs> yeah, wow. Did you think that you might be pregnant or did you think maybe it was just your body trying to regulate? Um, no, I was I was pretty sure I was pregnant. Um, yeah, I had okay. a friend from Wellington fly up to Hamilton for like a work appointment and – I was driving over the Kaimais to have dinner with her one day. Um, and as we were driving over over the Kaimais, I could smell the rain on the trees outside of the car with all of the windows up. And I had read that like a heightened sense of smell was a pretty good indicator of pregnancy. Mm. And that was, that was my first tip off. Um, and then yeah, a couple of days later on the day my period was due, I tested and it was positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. And how were you feeling? Were you, yeah, shocked or what did you feel when you saw that positive test? It was just so exciting. I couldn't believe it had happened so quickly and so easily for us. Like big emotions. Finn and I were both crying, had a big hug in the bathroom. And then our neighbor's kid came and knocked on our front door at exactly that moment to tell us that her dog had got through the fence and was playing with our dog in the yard and really kind (laughs) of put a halt on celebrations for us. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) and how did you feel like yeah after that did you have many symptoms in your first trimester um I wasn't too nauseous um but I was exhausted I could Mm. not get over just how tired I was um I did have that yeah really sensitive sense of smell um and working in cafes I had a particular aversion to the smell of bacon, which was deeply unfortunate. (laughs) And I think the only times I I threw up during my first trimester, I think it was twice, and it was both bacon related. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can can relate to the sense of smell. It's the weirdest thing, right? Like you go from just having, you know, what you assume is a normal sense of smell and then all of a sudden you can smell like everything. everything my my dog got a cut inside her mouth from chewing on a stick and I could smell the blood and it was it was so wild (laughs) yeah 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 cool and what about your decision for care did you decide to go with a midwife or what did that look like for you 
Yeah, no, I, I decided to go with a midwife. Um, I kind of looked through, is it findmymidwife.com, which yeah. feels just <laughs> way too generic. <laughs> yeah. um, and I met with a, a woman named Kelly. Um, she had just come back to practicing after a, a bit of a break, I believe. And um, she didn't have a an office to practice from yet. And she was like, I have a camper van, though. We can meet down the beach and have a cup of tea in the camper van. <laughs> and it it was like such a connection immediately. I really, really loved Kelly. And, um, yeah, just a cup of tea by the beach instead of meeting in a, in a meeting room was kind of all I needed to seal the deal for me. Yeah, awesome. Cool. And what did the rest of your pregnancy look like? Did you have all of the sort of standard testing that's offered in New Zealand <clears throat> and did you decide to find out the sex of your baby? So we did all of the testing. Um, I didn't have a dating scan because I was so sure of yeah. of my dates. Um, so I think the first ultrasound we had was, I think it's the 12-week one, the 12-week yeah. one was the first. Um, so it was like, it felt so bizarre to see like such a very clear mm. little person for our first ultrasound. Um, we did all of the standard testing, um, but we didn't find out the gender. We wanted a surprise. Yeah. Awesome. I wish I had the self-control for that. If we, I, I'm convinced like if we had another pregnancy, I might, cause I just love the stories where it's a surprise, but honestly, I'm such a like, control freak I just feel like I have to know <laughs> I liked the idea of not doing anything differently regardless yeah. of gender yeah. so and I think I've stuck quite true to that but um yeah, yeah for me it was like a, a very conscious decision of like no if I have a girl I want them to be into dinosaurs if I have a boy <laughs> I want them to wear tutus yeah. so I, I didn't think it would make too much difference for the way yeah. that we planned to do things personally yeah yeah Awesome. Cool. And what about like antenatal classes or birth education? Did you do anything there? Uh, <laughs> I I didn't think we would be able to commit to like the evening six week mm. antenatal classes. So we decided to go to like an intensive course at the Bethlehem Birth Center, which was like a Saturday, Sunday, do the whole thing at a weekend. Uh, we went to the Saturday one and then we didn't go to the Sunday one. <laughs> I had been doing like so much research on my own that I felt like everything we got from the first day, I was already pretty comfortable and familiar mm. with. And I couldn't, I couldn't really see anything that I would learn on the second day that I didn't already feel like I had a pretty good handle on. Yeah. Um, and I also did a, a peaceful pregnancy circle through a local doula named Sophia. Yeah. Awesome. Um, lots of mindfulness and meditation and visualization. Um, and that kind of felt like a really nice, like it felt more aligned to mm. what I wanted my birth prep to look like. Yeah. Um, I listened to a ton of Kiwi birth tales. I got your birth project and Finn and I watched the whole thing through so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, Finn really liked to, to take notes. I think like most male partners, he mm. was like, very diligent and like I want to know the solution mm. and had all of his notes about how to do the right thing and how to do all the support <laughs> for me um and Sophia has uh, another workshop called the art of support as well which is like targeted to to birth partners and Finn did that with yeah. me too oh, awesome. cool so it seems like you had a lot of um a lot of knowledge under your belt, which is very cool. <laughs> and yeah. did, you have, did that all of that sort of stuff give you an idea about what you wanted your birth to look like or did you have, yeah, like a birth plan or anything like that? 
Yeah. So I, at the beginning of the journey, I was quite open-minded, right? Like I was very much of the opinion that like wherever I need to be, I'm okay with. Um, People had said such incredible things about the Bethlehem Birth Center that I was really, really comfortable with the idea of going there. Um, As I progressed further through pregnancy and things continued to be really healthy, really normal, nothing of note going on, I kind of dismissed the idea of hospital. Um, It didn't seem like something that I would need based on how my pregnancy was progressing. And also I was really nervous about spending the time in the car. I think I had really, like from where I live, the trip to the hospital or the birth center could at the wrong time of day be a very long drive. Mm. Um, So I, with the support of Kelly, my midwife, um, she does a lot of home births. She really empowered me to, to look more into that. Um, my, my mum has five kids. I'm the oldest of her kids and she had all of her babies in hospital. Um, I was there when my little brother was born. I think I was only 10 years old at the time. Mm. And that was kind of my whole experience of birth. And Mm. the idea of being in the hospital didn't really appeal to me based on the memory of that occasion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. I don't know why she made that decision. <laughs> I was too small. <laughs> um, but no, we, we really settled into the idea of home birth. And the more I listened to podcasts and I read Ina May Gaskin's books, it really felt like, and Sophia's workshops too, just super empowered me to trust like the wisdom of my body mm. and trust in the fact that birth was this very normal natural procedure that we are are made for um and I really leaned into that and I I had the birth pool set up in my house for six weeks which is a bit (laughs) of a spoiler alert to how far overdue I ended up being (laughs) um but yeah I I had my heart set on a home birth probably more than I should have given how it's supposed to be birth preferences instead of a plan (laughs) Yeah, yeah no fair enough some people feel very strongly like one way or the other right for sure I really I've sold myself on my home birth a lot harder than I intended mm. to <laughs> and were you doing anything to try and get labor started or yeah what were you doing or were you just sort of happy to just let it happen um I I was pretty happy to let it happen um I really trusted that wisdom of my body right when the time is right and everything is ready my body will know um I I finished work at 37 weeks. Um, I think I switched from sitting on the sofa to sitting exclusively on a yoga ball at that point (laughs) so that I could just constantly jiggle. Um, I, as I got more and more post dates, I (laughs) ate dates. I had sex. I ate spicy food. I ate like four whole pineapples. (laughs) I, curb walked I did castor oil which was miserable (laughs) and nothing happened I I was having loads of extra monitoring I had an extra scan I think at like 40 like 41 and 6 maybe yeah um just to check that everything was still good um Kelly was super happy to support me and going over um was I I don't have enough good things to say about Kelly. (laughs) Um, So, so supportive. Um, And then, yeah, as things started to progress a little bit further past where she was professionally comfortable with, um, she talked to me about my options and what it would look like if it got to a point where she was 
uncomfortable continuing to provide mm. that level of care for me and what the next steps would be. Um, but we did a growth scan and everything looked fine and there was enough uh, amniotic fluid still. So I continued to be pregnant until I got to 42 and five. I went into the hospital to meet with an obstetrician about an induction, which I was, I was not in a good place about. Mm. I was really, really upset that it had got to the point where I would need to be induced. And I, I went into hospital at nine o'clock in the morning um, with the intention of having a conversation with the obstetrician. Uh, Mm. It was a Thursday and I arrived and a nurse came into the little room that I was in and asked me to put a line in. And I was like, no, I'm not here to be in juice. I'm just here to have a conversation. Uh, And I got some pretty weird energy from her at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, They put the bands on to like monitor, which I was pretty familiar with. Kelly had been doing it for a while to make sure that my uterus was doing everything it was meant to and all the rest. Baby was still comfortable. Um, So yeah, I was having a bunch of monitoring done in the hospital that morning while I waited for the obstetrician to come around. Um, And I had like a a big list of questions prepped. Like it was lots of um, the, the brain Enneagram that you recommend in your birth yeah. project yeah. Uh, built around that essentially like what are what are the risks if I do this what happens if I do nothing um trying to have that conversation with the obstetrician and just mm. really really felt that like they thought that I was making a risky decision mm. to continue to be pregnant but I didn't feel that they were able to provide me with any reason as to why mm-hmm. um there is a an acupuncturist locally named Deb that has uh, quite the reputation of being able to induce labor. (laughs) Uh, And that same Thursday, I had an appointment with her at two o'clock in the afternoon. So I said to the obstetrician, like, I want to go to this appointment. I want to see if it's going to work. Can I come back and be induced tomorrow if I haven't gone into labor naturally after this acupuncture appointment? Um, and I was really unhappy with the response that he gave me at that point. He was talking about how they only induce three people per day in regards to staffing levels to make sure that they've got enough people on to provide like quality care for everyone that's there. Um, which I suppose makes sense, but I, you can never really know how many women are going to go into labor at any one point. So Mm. I was really unhappy with that personally. Yeah. Um, and, like, and we don't induce any more than three people on a Friday because we're, we have fewer staff on over the weekend. So if you wanted to rebook your induction, it would have to wait until Monday. Um, and my opinion on that was, well, if it's so unsafe for me to continue being pregnant that you want to induce me today, why is it, why is the next available opportunity not until Monday? Like it just, it felt like they were telling me it needs to be today because everything is unsafe. But yeah. if it's not today, wait till Monday. It, yeah, that didn't feel good yeah. for me. Um, Kelly was with me, Finn was with me, and kind of we kept going backwards and forwards having this conversation. Um, the obstetrician, I think, was getting quite frustrated with mm-hmm. me trying to advocate for myself so strongly and potentially being hard-headed. I'm guilty of that <laughs> at times. <laughs> Um, but at one point he told me that if I refused to be induced, I 
was putting my baby in so much danger, I might as well send them into a school that I knew would have an active shooter come in. The obstetrician said that to you? Yeah. Wow. Um, and I I was so furious. Mm. That, that felt like that's not medical care, that's manipulation. Mm. And it's fear-mongering. And I asked him to leave. Mm. Um, I, I asked Finn how he was feeling and Finn told me he was scared. Mm. Um, and it, at that point I knew I had to make the decision that it's Finn's baby too. Mm. Um, and if Finn is afraid, I need to weigh that into the equation. Um, and I decided to be induced. Kelly really strongly recommended it for me too. Um, she was of the opinion that baby wasn't even particularly low. I think we'd done two stretch and sweeps by that point. Um, yeah. I was only three fifths engaged. Um, and she's like, I think very much that if you were going to go into labor naturally, it would have happened by now. Um, because I'd gone into hospital not intending to be induced. I didn't have anything except my phone and my car keys with me. <laughs> so I, I still left. I still went to my acupuncture appointment and I went back at like four in the afternoon to be induced that, that day. Yeah. After God, what a whirlwind. So, so much crying. Yeah. Oh, you poor thing. I really like, I just really feel for you, particularly that you had your heart like, set on this home birth and because I know your story like I've read your (laughs) I've read your um submission like I just yeah I really so feel for you in that situation where you're trying to advocate for yourself and you feel like you know your heart is set on this one thing and everybody is telling you something different and oh it's just a really hard position to be in so I really feel for you yeah yeah we had so during all of this process uh, my my brother had been battling testicular cancer. Um, and so we'd been spending quite a lot of time in and out of hospital with him during this mm. whole process. So I yeah. I had really just felt like I'd had quite enough of hospital yeah, um, at that time. And to know that I was going to have to be in hospital mm. was really upsetting for me. And um, it was COVID alert level three at the time too. And I knew that that would really impact Finn's ability to stay with me during Mm. the whole procedure too. And the idea of being alone for parts of it was really, really overwhelming. Um, Especially in rooms that just felt so familiar to me sitting and spending time with my brother Eli while he was really, really sick and going through treatment. Mm. It just, it just had no, none of like the positive, safe, comforting space Mm. for me that I had pictured myself giving birth in yeah yeah it was a lot yeah that sound like <laughs> so okay you go to your acupuncture appointment and you head back to the hospital how are you feeling mm-hmm. what happens next do you want to talk us through yeah what sort of happens from there yeah so um I I arrive at yeah just on shift change time so I get there and I'm sitting in this little waiting room waiting for somebody to like shepherd me into whichever room I'm going in to get the gel applied. Um, and I'm just sitting in this room listening to all of the like nurses do their shift change chat. Absolutely distraught, sitting there in the waiting room sobbing um, and just miserable. 
Um, mm. I get taken into like this little room that's like divided from three other beds with curtains. Um, and the lady is talking me through how they'll do one dose of gel now, one dose of gel in 12 hours time. Depending on how I progress, they will then do like a uh, artificial rupture of membranes. And then if that's still not progressing how they would like, I would then be on the Sintosin drip. Yeah. Um, and that they would want to put the drip catheter in at the same time as they do the first dose of gel. Um, and I was really quite reluctant to that. Like I know that I find them really uncomfortable. Um, and I was like, I, I, I don't want the catheter in. Um, mm. Can we just do gel first, please? Um, the answer was no. And I had the catheter put in anyway. Right. Um, so we have the, the gel put on. I go for a big walk around the hospital grounds with Finn, just doing laps, trying to get something happening. Um, feeling some twinges of contractions, but not a whole lot. Um, and then at, we settle back into the hospital at some point and um, just kind of Room's dark, just trying to relax and get comfortable. Uh, and at eight o'clock, somebody comes around and says that visiting hours are over and Finn needs to go home. Mm. So I hadn't been prepared for the fact that Finn wouldn't be able to stay. I was under the impression that because of the alert levels, it was once he was in, he was in, mm. and if he left, he couldn't come back. Yeah. Um, which kind of made me panic that if he left, he wouldn't be able to come back in. And they reassured me like, no, he will be able to come back. He'll be able to come back once visiting hours tomorrow starts. You'll be able to see him at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, so Finn goes home. I'm in, in a room with just a hospital bed and like a squab. Uh, I've got a window that looks over a car park and like a shared shower and toilet. Um, and I know now, but I didn't know at the time that there were delivery suites and I, it, at no point had anybody given me any explanation as to how things would mm. proceed beyond what like the order of the drugs would be. And I thought that this is the room that I was going to be giving birth in like this, right. yeah, yeah. like no toilet to sit on, no shower to be under, no bath. I, I was so afraid of what mm. my birth was going to look like and I just I cried all night <laughs> um at four in the morning 12 hours after my first dose of gel um they came back in and they gave me a second dose of gel because things weren't progressing as fast as they would have liked um and at that point I asked the nurse that was on um because I, I was having contractions they just weren't mm. I wasn't as dilated as they would expect um but I was quite uncomfortable and I really just wanted the emotional support and a fin more than anything. Um, and I asked what time it was that he would be allowed to come back in. And the nurse told me that like, oh, he can come back now. No one's going to stop him. <sighs> At which point I realized that I didn't, I hadn't needed to be alone for that mm. whole period of time. I could have had oh, Finn with funny. me anyway. So mm. four in the morning, I call Finn and he comes back and he sits with me for the rest of the morning. Um, and then I just kind of carry on having my contractions. Um, in the morning, maybe like seven or eight o'clock, one of the other midwives comes back in and they ask to put like the monitoring bands back on me to see how things are going. Um, 
And I'm like standing up at this point, I'm leaning over, I'm doing some rocking, the birth playlist is on and I'm kind of trying to find a bit of a groove with the whole thing. Mm. Trying to find that, that space, sink into it, breathe with it. Um, Cause I'm feeling like things are getting a bit more intense now, which was really nice. Um, and then monitoring the contractions and there's this little printout buzzing along behind me. Um, and then the obstetrician of the day comes in, um, walks herself into the room tells Finn to get out of the seat that he's sitting in so that she can sit down and then grabs the printout that's coming out of the paper, speaks to the midwife, doesn't introduce herself to me, doesn't speak to Finn other than to kick him out of his chair and tells the midwife that, oh, baby's heart rate is getting a bit low sometimes, has her water broken? And the midwife asks me, is your water broken? And I say, no. And okay well we'll come back in and we'll rupture your membranes and that should get things going and there was no conversation with me Mm. about my care no discussion of my preferences at all very much just telling me how things were going Mm. to happen um and I I asked why like is like why do we need to rupture my membranes now Um, And they said that because baby's heart rate is dropping a little bit and, you know, we want to speed things up so that they don't get distressed. Um, And I asked if, if I can keep, if I keep the monitors on so that you can keep an eye on what's happening to baby all the time, can I just wait and see if my waters will break on their own? Um, And the obstetrician said, okay, we'll come back at one. We'll break your waters at one if they haven't broken on their own. What was um, the time around then that she came in, do you think? Like roughly nine in the morning. Yeah, okay. Um, so at that point, I haven't really slept. Um, mm. And I kind of feel like I'm on the clock now, right? And I'm yeah. trying to find it within myself to just go and walk up and down the stairs or do laps of my room or just like figure out how to move in a way that's going to get things happening because I've I've got to have my waters break before one o'clock now yeah um at some point Finn pops out to go and grab some lunch and have some fresh air and while he's out at half past 12 my waters break (laughs) um and I was pumped on that I was so excited it just it felt (laughs) like at that point my body was doing it Mm. it it was happening and I wouldn't have to go on the drip because things were progressing and um, the midwife came in and she told me that, oh, great, we can move your rooms now. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she's mm. like, I will take you to a delivery suite. And that was the first point that I had heard of a delivery suite. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that I was in that little room for the long haul. Mm. And, like, I start trying to, like, bundle up all of my things. And she's like, great, cool, we'll go now then. And I'm like, well, no, I have to wait for Finn to get back. He's not going to know where to find me. And she's trying to like rush me into this next room and I'm trying to call Finn, like, where are you? I'm getting moved rooms. And it was just this incredibly stressful Mm -hmm. thing of like, Finn's not going to know where to find me. Yeah. Um, And they're asking me a lot of questions about the color of my waters, which I hadn't really paid a lot of attention to. I didn't know that I had to. And they're asking, you know, what color were they? And I was like, yellow, like and I will yellow or green or brown. I'm like, mm. like yellow. And there's lots of going backwards and forwards about like, well, was it, was it green? Was it brown? And I'm like, it, 
just like like we when you go for a wee mm. and you haven't had enough to drink and it's it was just yellow mm. and there was kind of some like tension and puzzlement around that that I didn't really understand um Finn comes back and we move into this delivery room and there's like a much bigger, much more comfortable bed. There's a bath there. There's my own toilet. There's a big lazy boy for Finn to sit in. And it was like this big relief, right? Like I, my body does know what it's doing. Something is happening. There's another place for me to go to. I don't have to give birth in this tiny, sad room with no bathroom. I was so pleased. (laughs) Um, And at that point I, I let Kelly know because I had been, I'd been kind of in touch with her via text and I knew that she was in the hospital for a, like a meeting with the board of mm. something or other at that time. Um, I let her know that I was going to the delivery suite that my waters had broken. Um, and she was like, great, I'll come in and I'll see you really soon. Um, so we got into the delivery suite. Finn came with us. I hop up on the bed, they put the monitors back on me and the hospital midwife is like, oh, baby's heart rate's still a little bit low. I'm a bit worried. We'll, We'll see how dilated you are. Uh, and she pops me up on the bed and she tells me you're two centimeters. And at this point, it's nearly 24 hours mm. since I had the first dose of gel. And I'm feeling like my contractions are like definitely going, like increasing in intensity. Like I'm, I'm really like zoning in and having to breathe through them. If I'm going for a bit of a walk, it's quite intense. And I have to like stop and hang mm. on to something during a contraction. And I'm only two mm. centimeters dilated. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was a bit crushing, right? When I finally felt like yeah. things were like turning yeah. a corner, um, and then then Kelly arrives. <laughs> I was so pleased to see her. It felt like I finally had somebody for the process that like I connected yeah. with. Um, and the midwife from the hospital is kind of like giving her a bit of a rundown, and Kelly's like, "Okay, well, put the monitor back on, and I'll have a have a watch myself, and we'll see how it goes." Um, Kelly's looking at it, and she's like, "Oh, her." their heart rate's quite low um stand up for me often that helps um so I stand up and she's watching Mm. the that little monitor again and she's like no baby's heart rate's quite low hop back up on the bed for me and she very very calmly very clearly says Mm. to me baby's heart rate is very low I'm going to push the emergency button on the wall. The room is going to fill with doctors and they're going to take you away. They're going to put you under general anesthetic and they're going to get your baby out. I'm pushing the button on the wall now. And she did. And the room filled. I have absolutely Mm. no idea how many doctors came into that room. It felt like dozens um, and they are all like, mm. like laser beam precision, like lifting me up from one bed to the next, putting a, a drip in one arm, doing this, that, the other. like it's absolute chaos. I'm trying to find mm. a hand for Finn to like, to look for him and hold his hand. Yeah. And it it feels like there is absolutely nothing I can do at all like just this like crystal clear quiet calm waiting for an instruction because I don't know what to do to keep my baby alive um they tell me I have to let go of Finn and I just am like rolling down this hallway 
um, I get put into a an operating theater, I guess. I open my eyes for long enough to see like this bright light on the ceiling. I feel like liquid being poured all over my belly, a mask go on my face. And I think it's Kelly. I, I don't know. Um, kind of just talking to me as I go under mm. and yeah, it was, it was just this totally surreal, eerily calm, concentrated breathing, clarity, like desperately waiting for somebody to tell me something I can do to make sure my baby stays alive. And yeah, then I was asleep. Um, I, when I come around in the, I guess, recovery area after the fact, um, Kelly is there and she, she tells me that baby has been born and I ask her if Finn is with them. Um, and she says that he is, um, and Kelly says that they didn't have, they weren't breathing and they didn't have a heartbeat when they were born. Um, she said for about three and a half minutes, once baby was out of my body, but they don't know how long their heart wasn't beating for before that. Um, she tells me that baby is going to have to be, helicoptered to NICU in Waikato and that I'm going to be able to be wheeled in there on my bed to see them for a few minutes before the helicopter arrives to take her away. Um, and I'm, I'm so drugged out. Like I've just come around from general anesthetic. I have like very little ability to take it all in. Um, I'm so grateful that Kelly took pictures of Fox and Finn and I, the time we were all together, because I hardly remember it. Like I get in to see her at that point and Finn tells me she's a girl and we, we had three names picked out ahead of her birth. Cause we didn't know what we were having. We had one that we liked for a boy or a girl. And then one that we liked for if it was a boy and one for if it was a girl and um fox we had picked out and she had bright orange hair so it just seemed like it made an awful lot of sense and finn kind of phrased it like he was asking but he had absolutely already decided she was fox before i got there <laughs> finn finn knew that she was fox um and she has a, a cpap machine on her nose which is like a little reverse elephant trunk that went up over her head um, and I expected her to be in an incubator because kind of that's how you see all babies in hospitals is in a little incubator. But um, she was getting flown to Hamilton for a treatment called therapeutic hypothermia. Um, so part of that process is keeping her really cold. So she was just naked except for a nappy out in the air with like little heart rate monitors on and the CPAP elephant trunk. And it just felt so wrong to see this tiny little baby completely naked out in the cold. Um, and I like 
stroke her little foot. I can't pick her up. I can't move myself because I'm just so spaced out still. Um, and yeah, I'm there for a couple of minutes and they wheel me back to another room. Finn comes with me and they say that they'll bring her in in her little helicopter box before they fly her away so that I can see her before she leaves. But yeah, a few minutes in that room is what I got with her before they took her away in a helicopter. I could hear it leave, which was just so awful. Um, And Hamilton was in level four at the time. So we had, we had no idea of what, what that meant because any hospital staff that came with us in the ambulance for the transfer wouldn't be able to come back to Tauranga Hospital if they'd been exposed to anybody in Mm. Hamilton Hospital and they weren't sure how to do the handover of getting me from being an inpatient in Tauranga Hospital. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. To have me be an inpatient in Waikato yeah. Hospital without ever having done like a physical handover. And it... I was told I that night Finn had to go home again because, of course, he couldn't stay the night because visiting hours and COVID times and all the rest. So at 8 o'clock that night, he's get, well, he gets the option, right, do you want to go to Hamilton tonight and be with Fox or do you want to stay here and go over with Brett in the morning? Yeah. Um, and he chose to stay and wait for me to go the next morning, which I'm so grateful for. <laughs> because mm. I I didn't really have any any memory of what people had said about the kind of care Fox was going to be getting or yeah. like the details of my own transfer because I, I just wasn't able to process any information. There was just so much going on that I wasn't retaining anything mm. and I asked him the same questions over and over again and I still do. I still do because it just doesn't, like it doesn't save in my brain. Um. But the next morning they told me that I could go over in an ambulance as soon as I could shower myself. So something like 16 hours after my cesarean, I'm like walking across the hotel, uh, the Mm. hospital room trying to get myself in the shower and Finn is holding me up the whole time. Like there's, I did not shower myself. Finn showered me. Um, but I wasn't able to leave until it had been done. So we got it done. Um, they organized an ambulance for me to go over in, but Finn's not allowed to ride in that. And because I needed to stay being an inpatient because of having had the cesarean, I was transferred into Waikato hospital, but he needed to stay in like a hotel. So there was all sort of liaising with, um, the hospital in regards to trying to find a place for Finn to stay because in level four hotels can't take bookings and it was like how on earth do we find somewhere for Finn to stay when all of these businesses are essentially non-operational 
Um, and it was just this totally bizarre experience. So do not need. Of, yeah. Like it just added a layer of difficulty that like that situation really did not need. Um, I, I remember very much being in the ambulance going over the hill um, and like the feeling like my body was being torn in two every time we're going over potholes and bumps and corners mm. and that really windy steep road. Like it's, it's such a, like a physical memory for me. Um, yeah, it was awful. Mm. And then getting checked into Waikato hospital because they're in level four Finn's not allowed on the ward with me. So he can't come up to the room that I'm staying in. I can't leave the hospital grounds to go to where he's staying. And then we go to see Fox in the NICU and we're not even allowed to be in the same room with her together. So we had to take turns going to see Fox and like watching each other sit with Fox through a window in the door. Um, and we get there and they kind of give us a bit more, I'm a bit more lucid at mm. that point. They're able to tell me a little bit more about what her treatment is, is for and what it's going to look like. Um, and it's what they call therapeutic hypothermia. So they keep her body temperature like really low. It was like, I want to say like 34 degrees, 36 degrees, maybe very low, 34 degrees. Um, and she's wearing like a, there's like a little cooling <laughs> hat. So it's like a bubble wrap that they pump a cooling mm. fluid through bubble wrap, little beanie on. She's got goggles over her eyes, little earmuffs on her ears. She's got a breathing tube in cause she's so heavily sedated during this process that um, the machines are breathing for her. Um, and then she's got, tubes going down her mouth she has another little bubble wrap vest on over her chest like her whole torso is covered in it to keep her core temperature down there are boards on both of her arms with iv lines in and she's got like little monitoring cuffs on her legs and the biggest patch of skin that i can see on my whole baby is the sole of her tiny freezing cold purple foot and like I can't I can't mm-hmm. see her face. It's totally covered. It's just her little little purple foot. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Um and not even having yeah. Finn to sit with when yeah. when I it, it feels like meeting her for the first time, right? I hardly have any recollection of seeing her the first time and she's she's gonna be there like that for, for three days. Um, she's going to have her body temperature kept that mm-hmm. cold for three days with the intention of it preventing any swelling in her brain yeah. so that hopefully she doesn't get a brain injury from the period of time she wasn't breathing for. Um, and there's no way of knowing during those three days what her ordinary brain function is like because she's so heavily sedated. Um, on the fourth day, they do what's called rewarming, where they bring her body temperature up to within a normal range and they start reducing her sedatives. Um, and they explained to us that like that, that fourth day of treatment where they're warming her back up, mm-hmm. she's going to be five days old. That is when we know whether or not she's going to be able to breathe by herself or whether or not she's going to have 
seizures or whether she's going to have control over her movements or be able to feed or essentially find out what level of disability or whether she's going to be able to stay alive. Um, So I think I was an inpatient in Waikato Hospital. We were doing this weird backwards and forwards of Finn at the hotel I couldn't go Mm. to, me and the ward he couldn't come to. A ward full of mums and other babies and you can just hear mums with their babies all the time. And I'm in this room Mm. by myself, which bless them for giving me a room by myself, (laughs) but it still had a cot in it. And like, I wish they took the cot out really just rubbing it in my face mm. that I don't have my baby with me. And then like, like orderlies coming in and like cleaners coming in. Oh, where's your yes. baby? Yeah. Yeah. And like, Oh, I wish I didn't have to explain myself to the healthcare staff coming in. Um, yeah. So I was two more days of being in hospital mm. myself before I could go back to the hotel that Finn was staying in just around the corner from the hospital. Um, and then another yeah. day after that, before we knew whether Fox was going to make it, essentially. Um, on on She was five days old when we got to pick her up for the first time. Um, they warmed her back up and everything seemed like it was going yeah. fine. They, nothing had happened that led anybody to believe she was going to be anything other than perfectly normal. She was breathing well. Her brain function was good. There were no seizures. Um, but Finn and I had spent the whole previous night in hospital together, uh, sorry, in the hotel together Mm. talking about like, what, what does having a disabled child look like for us? Um, Finn's little brother has down syndrome, Mm. uh, and he, like, he knows how his parents' lives and what they pictured for their lives changed because of, of having a child with disability. Um, and we talked a lot about that and kind of came to a place where it's like all that really matters is that we, mm. it's, it's all going to be okay if Fox has capacity to, to know love and to know joy and to, to have a life where she can, can like laugh and be loved. It, it's going to be okay. Mm. And it was such an insane place to come to, right? Where it's like, you're so mm. fearful for all these like potential disabilities. And like, is, is she going to breathe? Well, like what is, what is having an epileptic child look like? And it's like, it's mm. as long as she can lead a life where she knows joy, it's going to be all right. And kind of holding on to that conversation a lot over that night when we knew she was going to be warmed up in Mm. the morning and we were going to be able to pick her up and hold her and whatever that looked like was going to be okay. Mm. And she was okay. I, I was able to pick her up and she had all these cords and beeping wires (laughs) and crazy little things, but she didn't have a little cooling jacket on and she didn't have a little goggles on anymore. And I could see her face and Oh, like we all had to wear masks still and Finn still had to mm-hmm. look through the little window on the wall and yeah. it was so yeah. far from what I thought it would look like of being in a pool in my lounge. Mm. <laughs> it, it was just 
so polar opposite from how I pictured it for us. Um, but also knowing that, like, if it had happened at home, I wouldn't have a baby. And, like, this crazy, incredible treatment that she'd had had worked and that we – that it's possible mm. and that at that point all signs looked good for having no adverse effects from the way that she entered the world. It was just – so incredible to go from like the feeling of this birth is the opposite of what I want mm. to knowing that I had been exactly where I needed to be to make sure my baby was okay. Yeah. It's such a, like listening to you talk about it like that. It's just such an interesting, like, I feel like in pregnancy you go from what do I want like my birth to look like for me and my partner and my baby, of course. And then, yeah, your baby's here and if you've had an experience like what you've had it sort of flips to well actually you know my baby's alive and like three and a half minutes with no heartbeat no oxygen like everything like that you know you just I I can see the change in perspective I can also like and I don't know we can get into this a little bit later but I can also see like a huge space there for birth trauma and like the way that you sort of process your birth from there but Yeah, I guess perspective, right? It's really interesting. Yeah, it's an ongoing ride in regards to that for sure. Some days are good, some days are hard. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, currently we're now in the limbo period (laughs) between like (laughs) when Fox was due and Fox's first birthday, right? So it's like Fox was in theory due a couple of days ago and I know that her birthday is not for another week and a half. And I'm kind of, I'm very much currently living in the space of like the, I was so comfortable in this this time last year, knowing that my yeah. body will do what it's going to do. Everything is going to be fine. My yeah. body is wise, except this time I know how it ends. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. like there's like uh, this residual dread, right? Of like mm-hmm. oh, the hospital experience is coming. Yeah. And as grateful as I am for Fox's like health and well being and the outcome that she got, I I still think that my hospital experience was awful Mm. it was exactly where fox needed to be and i'm i'm glad that i was there but that doesn't mean that the care i was provided in that environment was Mm. good enough and was of the standard that i would expect or that i was treated with any kind of dignity or personhood because i i truly don't believe that i was Mm. um and i i've there's a clear duality for me of fox's care was exceptional and mine was not Mm. Have you spoken, like, did you speak with your midwife or did you speak with anyone else about your experience in hospital? Yeah. So I, we, we came back to Tauranga hospital for another five days after we got released from NICU in Waikato. We did another five days at Skibu in Tauranga. Yeah. And the NICU nurses in Waikato and the Skibu team in Tauranga, I, I cannot say enough incredible things about those people are angels on this earth I oh my word (laughs) just incredible people who deal with the most fraught time of anybody's life Mm. and do it with such grace and such gentleness just incredible people um so I did yeah four nights of rooming in in Tauranga Hospital 
where Fox was getting checked in on by the pediatricians. Um, she had to have an MRI before we were able to come home at 10 days old um, to check her brain function. And then we got to come home with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they told me as I was leaving the hospital that they would organize for me to come back in and have a debrief session with one of the obstetricians, mm-hmm. um, which I was so grateful for because in terms of like my care, I felt like it was really muddled and confused because the people that had, um, the people that had provided my care in Tauranga, by the time I got to Hamilton, I really felt like nobody was providing any kind of follow-up care for me. Mm. It was all care for Fox, which like, fine, Fox needed it. But I had no real clarity on like, do I need my stitches removed? Hmm. What medication? You still need like a massive amount of care post a C like any type of C section, <laughs> but an emergency C section under general anaesthetic, you absolutely yeah. 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 So I I guess yeah, I just I felt like there was no continuity of care. Mm. I didn't receive like a handover from Tauranga Hospital when I headed into Waikato. And I really felt mm. that that was important for me to talk to the Tauranga team about so that I could let them know, like, hey, I mm. I didn't get a top up on pain relief before I was driven from Tauranga Hospital to Waikato Hospital. So I did that drive mm. with no pain relief in my system. Mm. That shouldn't happen. And like the, I didn't know that I didn't need stitches removed, that they were dissolvable. I didn't yeah. know so yeah. many things. And Hamilton assumed that Tauranga had told me and mm. Tauranga assumed that Hamilton would take care of it. And yeah. I just got nothing yeah um and I really felt that that was important feedback to provide Mm -hmm. um I also felt like it was really important to talk about the the school shooting comment that one of the other obstetricians had made to me um that's still something that I really find disgusting yeah um it really just takes away any autonomy of choice right Mm -hmm. like it just it makes you it, it put me in the position of if I don't be, if I'm not induced, I am choosing for my child to die, yeah. which is not the decision I was making. No. Um, yeah. So I, I told on that guy. Um. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so frustrating though, right? And like, I, I can listen to you say it and feel frustrated for you. I can, I can only imagine the way that you felt in that moment. I think like, this is what we refer to when we talk about like people who work in a hospital environment, for example, who only ever see, you know, births that need interventions. You're usually only working in a hospital when you need an intervention, but how did that person know that you going home or choosing not to be induced or whatever would a hundred percent result in the death of your baby, which is what he's saying by a school shooting situation like yeah just, exactly that, that fear-mongering like there's such a different way to have that conversation and yeah, yeah you can talk about so increased cool. risk which is is true that's yeah. fair that's a conversation yeah. that is important to have talking about increased risk mm. but making me feel as though I was choosing to let my child mm. die is mm. that is not based in reality that yeah. is manipulation and that is fear-mongering yeah, yeah I was appalled about mm. that. Um, and I also had a lot of confusing conversations with various people over the time. 
um, about like the period of time in which it would be safe to conceive again uh, following a C-section. Mm. And I really needed clarity from somebody at the hospital about that. So I'm mm. glad that I was able to clear that up in the debrief session that I had. I forget how old Fox was at that time, but it was, yeah, maybe two, maybe three weeks old. We went back in yeah. to have like a, a proper catch up, which was really important. Yeah. And I'm glad that's a service yeah. that they offer because it was, it was great to be able to go in and like air my concerns and also mm. ask my questions with a really clear head. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a really cool thing that we were able to do. Um, and I also had, in addition to my midwife, Kelly coming in and visiting um, after we came home, like as normal, um, one of the nurses from Skaboo did home visits for a while as well, which was really mm-hmm. great just to have that kind of extra support at home especially with it being like first baby, not knowing what like normal yeah. milestones are. And with like the added concern of like, is this type of like hand movement normal or is mm. it like a, a seizure symptom or like just having that extra reassurance for like all mm. of the, is like that, that first time parent anxiety anyway, I imagine it's like, Oh my God, is that normal? Oh my God, is that normal? Are they breathing? But it was so heightened for us because we were just on the lookout for all of these like neurological symptoms for like disabilities she might have that maybe they missed. Yeah. Um, But honestly, once she was home, it was easy by comparison, which I hate to say. Mm. (laughs) It was just like the, no one told us about witching hour. (laughs) (laughs) It got to like, the afternoon every day and I'm like why won't my baby stop crying <laughs> and just yeah. like pacing the lounge again and again and again being like why won't she stop yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it was by comparison it was easy it was comfortable we were at home I had all of my clothes I wasn't in like the bag of stuff that Finn hurriedly threw mm. in the car for me on the way to Hamilton um yeah it was it was so nice to be home. <laughs> mm. yeah. um, I feel like you saying like it was easy in comparison. I think like if you hear stories like this and you're like, gosh, I just hope <laughs> you hope that you get an easy sort of, or like whatever you want to call easy type of experience with a newborn. Right. Because you had a she rough was, go. Yeah. <laughs> she was very comfortable. She was very settled. She yeah. bless her heart from about six weeks old to about four months old slept through the night. Hasn't mm. kept that up. but at the time I really needed it it was magic um because just revisiting the my brother was sick thing um Mm. so I was due in on the 26th of October was my actual due date we found out at the beginning of October that my brother had six months to live Mm. um and we knew that the tail end of that was probably going to be pretty ugly um he was going to become quite disabled um so we can't there's kind of this time pressure right of like it was so important for fox to get here to meet him Mm. and he he made a lot of choices about his care and the kind of treatment that he had to make sure he was here for long enough to meet her before he passed um and as she was getting more and more overdue it felt very (laughs) much like they just have less and less time together which was retrospectively at this point like pretty easy to understand why I didn't go into labor myself right Mm. like there's oxytocin makes that happen and it was in pretty short supply in my life at that time 
yeah. I, I just found out that my brother was never going to be okay. And we had spent most of the last year and a half supporting him through all of these awful treatments with the hopes that like, nah, this one's going to do it. He's going to be okay. Um, and then in, in January, I think he had some pretty severe seizures that left him a lot more immobile than normal. Um, couple his low immunity with our fear of COVID from hospital experience and everyone all just being a bit anxious. We locked ourselves in the house and didn't go mm. put ourselves on a mini lockdown essentially just for fear of ending up back in hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And we would get him around and he'd sit on the deck and we'd have the ranch slider open to chat to him on the deck and have Fox sitting inside so we could have a look, but we weren't brave enough for them to actually meet yet. And then as his condition deteriorated and he became more and more sick and we started looking at the option of assisted dying, um, mm-hmm. he, he made the decision that that was, that was how he wanted to go. He didn't want to be in pain. He didn't want to be disabled. He wanted to have mm-hmm. his quality of life and for, for it to be over when he decided. Um, yeah. And it was so so incredibly special to have the time knowing that we like we just spent so much time together once we were brave enough to leave the house it was (laughs) so so conscious and so present Mm. of like this incredible joyous newness of fox overlapping Mm. so nicely with eli before he passed um and then on the day Fox turned 12 weeks old was the day Eli was able to end his life through assisted dying, which mm. if it couldn't have been different, I'm so, so glad that's the way that it was. Um, yeah. And boy, do I wish it could have been different. Yeah. <laughs> I so, so wish it could have been different. Yeah. But Fox was this like absolute light for everybody mm during that time and she is I think just her nature is very confident very social very Mm. she's busy at a year old she is busy and she's (laughs) chatty and she every time we're in a cafe she's offering her toys to strangers she's trying Mm. to sit on anybody and everybody's lap that'll have her Mm. she's so social and she was little enough to just like go to sleep on anybody at that time. And we could haul her around to mum's place and all the whanau was around for like the last couple of days of Eli's life. She just went with the flow so beautifully and was such, she kept the mood high, right? It was so nice in this like very present grief and like grieving Mm. in front of someone who is going to die is bizarre. Like they're watching you do it. But she just lightened the mood and she gave everybody something to have a conversation about that wasn't Eli being sick and Mm. passing. Yeah. And, yeah, truly such a gift. And also that she was little enough to not be too busy or for her schedule to be disrupted during that time Mm. was very good timing. (laughs) Very good timing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And... The day that Eli passed, we were all a wreck. We were all absolutely mm. a wreck, except Eli. 
um, he was so sure of his decision and he was Mm -hmm. so comfortable and ready and confident that what he was doing was the right thing to do for him that Fox was super unsettled with, with me, with her dad, with anybody else that tried to hold her. She just wasn't settled. Mm -hmm. We just had too much of this grief going on. And we, I popped her down on Eli's lap in his wheelchair as we were hanging out in the car park before we went into the hospital. And she was so relaxed. Mm-hmm. She, the energy coming off him was just so good and so comfortable and so sure that she just had the, like the biggest, longest, most special cuddle with him right at the end for him when he had mm-hmm. met, done so much fighting to be there to meet her. Yeah. yeah. Bloody magic. <laughs> oh, you made me cry now too. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so no. sorry for your loss, Britt, but I honestly just feel like, oh, I'm so pleased for you and for your brother that he got to meet Fox and like be with her. And I just, I really can resonate with that. What you said earlier about like, babies don't understand they're so young right they don't understand like what's going on around them mm-hmm. but they're just like this light even in these really like just absolutely the worst times of our lives so yeah, yeah. I really, really understand that yeah no it was this beautiful reminder of like mm. it, it's very cyclical right the yeah. life and death and birth and death they're not far removed and mm. to have them be hand in hand in that time was just so so precious to have them mm-hmm. happen simultaneously and for for Eli to get to meet Fox and mm-hmm. he got to be an uncle yeah yeah and so you're th- about three months postpartum then so maybe if we just track back a little bit yeah um how did you physically recover from your c-section like how did you find breastfeeding you know did you breastfeed with her being in um hospital for that long what did that all look like for you yeah yeah so I I had been expressing colostrum um during the last many weeks of my pregnancy because I started at like 37 weeks or whatever and then I actually got to express colostrum for six weeks because I went so far over uh she was 42 and six by the time she was born so I had heaps of colostrum that I took with us to the hospital that went with her over to Waikato um I was pumping while I was in hospital when she was in NICU so that I would have a supply established for when she arrived um and I I took over the entire NICU freezer (laughs) I had so much milk like I like the tote trays that you have in primary school for all of your stuff like yeah. two of them overflowing in the NICU freezer of just my milk it was everywhere um and by the time Fox was awake my supply was so well established that breastfeeding was really hard for her because of course most babies are learning when you have that really mm. slow colostrum right and she had this like oversupply very forceful let down like choking her out as she's trying to figure Mm. out how to breastfeed it was tricky um and we also she got oral thrush and we passed it backwards and forwards from my nipples to her mouth for a really long time and I had loads of like 
awful splits on my nipples from from thrush Mm. um but yeah I I had so much milk I had no idea what I was going to do with it all my own freezer was full of it by the time I got Mm. home I could express 250 mils off one side before I even fed her in the mornings because (laughs) she was sleeping through the night from so young Mm -hmm. when I had this crazy oversupply that I had to to pump before I fed her in the mornings or else she would drown. It felt like she just couldn't latch um, on these huge rock hard boobs. Um, mm. <laughs> and I would just like freeze down all of this extra milk that I had, which um, I had thought about donating and I was really looking into how to go about that until my milk dried up and vanished overnight when Eli died. Um, I, I got my first period the day Eli died and the day my milk dried up all at the same time. I just, my hormones Mm. went to shit. (laughs) Um, and I was very grateful I hadn't donated the milk yet because it meant that I could feed Fox entirely from the breast milk in the freezer while I started on Domperidone to get my supply back. So she is almost a year old she is still on the titty which we just absolutely love right I have mm-hmm. I have a lot of trauma surrounding my body's ability to keep my baby safe mm-hmm. um I feel I feel like I failed at birth a lot I feel like I had so much faith in my body and then that was misguided and I shouldn't have trusted mm-hmm. it because it doesn't know what it was doing and that's difficult um but I do feel like breastfeeding is something that I'm very good at (laughs) and she's in daycare three days a week now and I express on days that I'm at work so that I can keep her exclusively on breast milk instead of formula which I I feel really proud of um it feels like that at least is one thing Mm. that my my body does know how to do and does really Mm. well and it's like the the closeness and the connection of feeding feels like something that I I so badly wanted during the time that I wasn't able to pick her up right and I I have no intention of weaning her I hope she wants to be breastfed (laughs) for a long time yet because it's (laughs) I just love it I'm I'm really grateful that at least that part worked out the way I wanted it to yeah yeah and so I'm trying not to put my birth trauma hat on too much here <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm hearing free, I'll take little, the advice I love it <laughs> I'm hearing these little um you know sentences that you're saying around like you know you feel like your body failed and you had this trust and like your mind was set on a home birth and you had this trust in your body that it could give birth to your baby and all of that have you done anything postpartum like in regards to the way that you feel about your birth or birth trauma? Like, has there been anything that helped you? Have you, yeah, worked with anybody? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, it's very much a work in progress. Mm. Um, I, I was in therapy prior to giving birth. I've maintained that relationship with my counselor post birth and we kind of get into it a little bit. Um, I've done some sessions with uh, Sophia. She works a lot in the grief space as well. She's beautiful. Um, Mm. I've done a a little bit and I'm still very much 
seeking out other ways to yeah. work on it because I I had so much else to work through at the same time, right? Like yeah. I yeah. I spent so much of the last like six or eight months really focusing on like the grief of losing Eli and it felt totally. like I I couldn't process both at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um and it just felt like birth trauma could wait. I'm not planning on having another <laughs> birth anytime soon. Yeah. Um yeah. and yeah, I I have capacity now to mm. work on it more than I have had previously and I'm really leaning yeah. into it at at the moment. Um yeah. it's also becoming quite loud currently. Yeah. I can't turn it down and ignore it in quite the same way, yeah. which I think is yeah. very connected to the time of year that it is. Yeah, um, for sure. It's all pretty pretty fresh right now. Um, mm. And for a long time, I like I had to unfollow and like uh, like mute posts from certain birth accounts that yeah. I had followed in yeah. pregnancy because I just found it super super triggering. Um, yeah. And some days I still do, mm. but I'm beginning to tiptoe back into it. Um, and I think doing this feels really good too because I. Mm. I have not been able to find the birth story for somebody else who has given birth under mm. general anesthetic. Uh, mm. Loads of emergency C-section deliveries, which are their own whole thing, and I'm not minimizing yeah. that at all. Um, but I, I, I don't have a birth experience. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't there for my mm. birth. I don't, mm. I don't know what my birth was like. And I don't even really feel like I got to have a labor mm. based on the fact that I only got to like two centimeters dilated. Mm. Um, so I, I think my birth trauma very much is needing some addressing currently mm. and I'm, I'm working on it, but yeah, 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 there's all kinds of little bits and pieces that, that play into it and, Totally. different ways like yeah. the hospital birth is one part which is very separate to like the mm. general anesthetic part which then is laid on by the NICU part mm. and yeah, yeah we'll get there I think oh it's such a journey right and I think like birth is a complex thing anyway um mm. and when you add layers of you know like we all have like goals and ways that we want to feel in certain experiences to add birth like as part of that it's such a transformative like moment in our lives and yeah um experiencing trauma as a part of that is really complex as well so I hope that you find like you know, the right resources at the right time for you. And of course we can chat offline um, about yeah, some places yeah. that you could potentially explore because yeah, I just feel like um, you've had a shitload going on in the last <laughs> year, right? And um, I, I really have. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope that, that this and like hearing the experience of somebody who's been through it is helpful to somebody else, right? Like mm. I, I, re- I really hope that there is somebody who, gains something from yeah. my experience because I would mm. so so love to hear from other women who have mm. had this experience because I just haven't found them I haven't yeah. found anybody who's got the same experience as me and I would love to yeah. to hear what it's like for other people and to find out what has helped them because yeah. I feel a bit out on my own in it sometimes yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can be really isolating. And I can almost be sure that you'll find someone to connect with through this, like the sharing of this episode. Um, I just know for sure that there'll be people who will either listen to this having had a 
C-section under general anaesthetic or who eventually go on to have one and then come mm. back and refer to, you know, what they heard you talk about in your episode. So I'm just, yeah, super grateful that you were willing to share your story with us. And I hope you know, yeah, that, um, you know, the birth experience that you had was not your fault or your body's fault. And, um, yeah, I hope you find some peace with that one day. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, I would love for Fox to have a sibling. It's mm. I I think losing my brother at the same time, right, really has driven home for me just how how insanely important mm. my siblings are in my life. Yeah. And I we always said that we were gonna have two. And following the birth of Fox, it it feels so incredibly scary to even think about mm. doing it again. Yeah. And if it wasn't for like that really big reminder of just how important that sibling relationship is Mm -hmm. for me I think it would have been really easy to just say oh well we'll just have one but the motivation of like I want Fox to have that sibling experience Mm -hmm. I want that for her so badly really is the encouragement to like to work on my shit and to get through it and (laughs) to to come out the other side and and do the work (laughs) yeah yeah you'll get there well thank you so much Brett for coming on the podcast like I said I just yeah I'm 100% sure there'll be someone who takes something from this episode and is so grateful to you for sharing and yeah I've really loved talking to you today so thank you oh thank you it's it's really important to get into it and it it was less scary than I thought it would be Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birthdales. I hope you have enjoyed it and I look forward to bringing you another birth story episode next week. There will be a bonus Your Birth Project episode coming too, so stay tuned for that. Otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.